Okay. There he is. There is there is Billy. He's coming in. Clear with his base. I think I see you. You hear me? Yes. Uh, you know what I'm listening to? I don't know if you ever heard this. You what? I don't know if you ever heard this song. Can you name that song? You hear that song. You know that song? You think I know it? I don't know. I know it because I used to see this band called Talus, and you're Billy Sheen. You're an artist on record. Your ultimate intimate conversation with your favorite artist. What an introduction that is. <laughs> Billy, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You know, oh, man, it's wonderful to have you here. We have mutual friends, you and I. And, uh, you know, before we get started and get the show rolling over here, I just have these for my to read the notes. So I'm not a true stalker, have notes on you. If I knew everything on the top of my head, I'd be insane and you'd be nervous of me. But it's great to have you here. Thank you. We've been playing tag with each other, you and I. A little bit. A little bit, man. A little Traveling bit. now, so it's uh, difficult for me to be in one spot at a, at a, at a great upon time. So no, well, I'm glad we do this. Yeah, no, I'm glad you're here. You know what, man? I used you. I used to jam on Thursday nights at the Cat Club with Slim Jim. I was in that band with oh, Eric Dover, and I played bass. And then you, I used to see you on the Sunday sometimes jam as well. Yeah, a lot. Uh, that was a hangout uh, for a Sunday night. It was a great uh, hangout, a wasn't it? Wasn't it yeah. fun? It was a blast. It was like almost like the cheers for the rock and rollers. You go there, you hang out. You know? Everybody knew your name. It really it was the best little place. It was intimate. And, um, but I did like the stage when it was on the other side, when you first walked in before they moved. Do you agree? I agree. Yeah. It, it just, yeah. It was just a lot, a lot of fun, but Billy, thanks for being here today. And you know what? I remember going to Lemoore's in Brooklyn and I used to sneak in there with my braces and keep my mouth shut at like 84. And I used to see you guys play out there when you were in Talos and it yeah. was, Bands like you guys were playing the Talus. It was Twisted Sister. Every Thursday night, there was T.T. Quick was another one they play. The rock capital of Brooklyn. Um, yeah, a lot of bands. I posted on one of their posters the other day and uh, just had a, a bunch of bands that, from the day. And uh, some of them are still around and huge, and some of them have are gone. Some of them are gone. But, I, you know, it's funny because as I'm going down the rabbit hole with Talus right now, there's so much out there that I forgot about. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like at, after Talos, after you left, I, did, I forgot that Bruno for a short time was from danger, danger played in Talos after you later on, I forgot all of which he was in white line. He was all over the place before danger, danger. I forgot all this mad history. So we'll go down the rabbit hole and talk about that. And in the beginning, but you guys put out an album. It's called the new album, 1985. And that's coming out with on the 23rd of September. Am I correct? That's correct. And uh, on Metal Blade Records, it's released. Say again? Is it on Metal Blade Records? It's, it's yeah. released on that? Yeah. Wow. Wow. So, the, and this is, that was the new song I was playing in the beginning, Crystal Clear, which is, what a, a great tune. Yeah, okay. I love playing. That's one of the songs Mitch Perry brought to the band when he joined. And uh, that and another song called On the Take, both of those are on the record with Mitch playing guitar on them. And, uh, we're glad to have him along for this. Oh, that's cool. Mitch is a great player. Great, a great, great player. Been around for if people who don't know. Mitch also played with Cher for a long time. 
So one of those. Yeah. So when she's at the front of the stage, if he's behind her, he gets to see her butt and those assless uh, pants all night long. So uh, <laughs> a plus or a minus, I don't know. <laughs> Not a bad gig. You know? Not a reliability. It could have been both. Not a bad gig. Some musicians might miss home, but if you're looking at that view, you forget about home while you got that. <laughs> <laughs> or you long know? for it. One of the two. So, I mean, Talos was one of those bands. It just, it just was Brooklyn's finest. You guys are from Albany, right? Is that we? Oh, Buffalo, Buffalo, right? Buffalo, New York. Buffalo, New York. Buffalo, New York. I'm, I'm from Brooklyn, from Canarsie. So I, I never been to Albany or Buffalo or none of that. Yeah, I've stayed a lot. <laughs> Pardon me, a lot of folks downstate don't. There's not a lot of things that go between there, so it was kind of nice coming down from upstate New York, Buffalo. Uh, we yeah. played in Buffalo, Batavia, Rochester, Syracuse, Albany, and then down south from Albany, Schenectady, Detroit, all the way down to, through Poughkeepsie, where the Chance was, another famous club, and then down into Brooklyn, uh, and a couple other clubs in that area, the Rising Sun. Uh, plus, we were at striking distance to so many with Boston and uh, Baltimore and all that whole East Coast. All the cities were so close by. Uh, anything that was within a 10, 12-hour drive, we could hit. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, once we hit that, anything that was within 10 hours of that was in the striking range. So we ended up playing from St. Louis to uh, Chicago to Milwaukee, Toronto, Montreal, uh Boston, Connecticut, all the all the Northeast. It was a great scene. That's why we named the, the record 1985, because in 85, it was just jammed with clubs and bands. Everybody was playing. Uh, deals were getting signed. People were, you know, advancing themselves in their careers. And, and when I went out to L.A. in 85, um, Sunset Boulevard was like Mardi Gras every night. It was amazing. It was six six deep on the sidewalk just pe- rock and roll people and bands and uh just it was, it was an amazing time so it was an amazing That's time 1985. <laughs> 1985 you know we take it for granted right now because back then i remember being in the midst of 1985 and the the, the model was for you guys out there now that i'm receding but it was thank god i had nice hair back there the longer the hair the better the chick and then you guys made, i would get my 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 groove going listening to that live your live album in yeah, that was recorded at the other uh, Lamore's well, East Queens. Lamore's, in Queens, Lamore's East, which was on and wasn't it, it was on Combat Rec Combat Records, I believe, was the label. It was, it was. Correct, yeah. I had the original copy. I wonder if it's worth anything now. I, I mean, I, and it's worth big, maybe, uh, 10, 20 bucks. <laughs> you know where I bought it at Zigzag Records in Brooklyn. That was a, the, the vinyl record store in, in Brooklyn where you get all the records of. Oh, yeah, guys. I remember it well. That was a- we were glad to have friends in the record biz, even some people at major labels, because they'd come with a little care package of all, all kinds of records for us, you know. Yeah. So we 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 scored some some good stuff. I remember that's how I found, except the German band, and that's how I found Ingve also. Uh, I forgot what, what how how that came about, but it was from Free Records. I I, I rarely bought a record back in the days. I was relied on having them laid on me because I was too. Too broke to buy them anyway. I know. Well, it was a it was a fun time to buy records. Yeah, I remember buying Metallica, kill them all over there back back in the day, and yeah. that was the place to, to to get all these underground records. It's crazy when that 1985 hit. As we talk about 
your your album and the year and reminiscing, I was a big Motown and Beatle fan. And I remember I was so, so crazy obnoxious when even with the crew coming out and health the skelter and the stupid, I went through my stupid phase. I went it, worse than leg warmers and bandanas around my legs. I go, oh my God, this health the skelter version is so great. I'm throwing away my Beatle records. What lunatic would even say that? My favorite. <laughs> you know, you know, you know. Yeah, you go back and look at the things you were into. And uh, for me, some of it stands up, some of it doesn't. You know, you know. some of the things that you were led astray by so to speak uh but there was some some great stuff i mean uh if you're in the beatles and motown that was a huge thing for me also uh i like yourself i came up i i'm assuming um at a time when there really wasn't a lot of categories with walls between them mm -hmm. uh, radio would play uh everything from three dog nine to grand funk to mahavishnu to uh the supremes to a classical piece to Joni Mitchell, to Hendrix, everything. So, and that was a great time to, uh, and that was way before 1985, of course. But so growing, going through that time was, a, I think it was a good thing and a great benefit because you, you had a broad spectrum of styles and music and ideas and feels and tones and things like that. So, whereas now it's a little bit more, not as bad as it's been, but it's a little bit more kind of, you just listen to that one type of thing and, and don't listen to anything else. So uh, I think a lot of great players, I'm not referring to myself at all, but a lot of great players came up through that time and were exposed to a lot of uh, different things. And so it helped them to uh, form a unique style. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, on bass, mixed James Jamerson with Tim Bogart and uh, Jack Bruce and John Atwistle and uh, uh, Jocko and Stanley uh you know that, that could that could create a, a new flavor of soup there you know of all those uh, ingredients I, I agree with you 100 percent. and you know what and, and maybe and i talk about this a lot i i, I remember i had ted nugent on the show we went down the rabbit hole about um just james jameson the whole funk brothers where people don't even know who the funk brothers are and if you don't standing in the shadows everybody get that watch it you'll you'll understand oh, yeah. it it Incredible. It's, it's touching. You know, it's so crazy about that. Even at the end, James Jameson had to sneak in to the, to, to the award Motown award show. I don't know if you, you remember that at the end where he couldn't oh. get in, he was an alcoholic and he, I yeah. think he passed away on a, some hotel on sunset or somewhere over there. And he had, sneak, he had to sneak And this guy, his, and which we'll go, you know, talk about this, his melody lines, when you listen to heat wave and all the grooves and his thing was about bass playing, where, where he got this it, it was like where do you, where where are you getting this from and it was from a fat lady he pictured bouncing down the street walking her ass you know cheeks that's what his <laughs> that's what his thing was but never would change the strings and he was the hook the one finger the hook yeah. you know so it was just and and as you talk about that i guess it's a, it was a time where you'd stare at your records as a kid you'd read every every artist on it, whatever you could, songwriters, you'd soak it all in. It was just, and the sounds, you'd listen to all this and you just get lost. Now you got YouTube. It's, it's so open. The mystery is not a, it's not as an immersive experience <laughs> to say the least. And we, but, but we didn't have all the distractions and all the choices. You had rock, blues, folk, jazz, classical, that mm -hmm. was, you know, that was 
Yeah, uh, exactly. we didn't see much world music back in the day or anything. It wasn't all the million subcategories there are now. And uh, it was just kind of a, a, a no no internet to uh, interrupt you. And I know not us. I, I I know you've probably seen the same thing. I mean, we are checking our phone every every twenty seconds. Oh God, it's awful. It's kind of hard to live without it, but it's also awful to live with it in some ways. It, so it, you don't get awful. a chance to just sit there and you know read. I'm I'm currently actually reading a book made of paper. Are <laughs> you really? Are you not a tablet, but out of paper? <laughs> yes. <I don't laughs> so it's, a, it's going back to an interesting experience. But uh, yeah, an incredible uh, legacy came before us. All all fans and players that uh, really set us up for uh, quite a rich culture of uh, music. And I think that's a wonderful thing. I, yeah. I, I love a lot of stuff that people wouldn't expect me to love. You know, the Gypsy Kings, or uh, I'm a big Sinatra fan, you know, but I love Accept and Priest and uh, 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 some electronic dance music uh, I find intriguing also. But my, my main thing, of course, is rock and it, what, we, what we did on the Talos record. That's that's kind of my main. That's my thing. I mean, <laughs> I felt right you, at home there. You know what? And, and you and you do it well back then and back in, 80, in the 80s, 80, 1985. I, I just remember like 84 watching you play and you really what you did on the bass was incredible for a guy like me. I'm like, oh, my God, it was just magical. And I was watching some stuff you did. I saw you in an old episode of Nikki Six would talk about bass gear with musicians. And you did an episode with Nikki. And I didn't, I didn't even realize this, but you were scalloping the neck of your own bass back back then. You took your bass and you would you did it yourself. Back yeah, I did almost all my own work. Uh, on these Yamaha basses, is an extra pickup here. But mm-hmm. on my old bass, there. There's nothing there, so I put a Gibson pickup on there. I love the Gibson tone, and I chiseled it out myself and wired it myself and put it in and changed the neck on my bass from a P bass neck to a Telecaster bass neck. That's what this is modeled after now, the same size and feel. Uh, so I, because back in the day, you didn't have uh, guitar shops that would of anyone that could work on anything. Even in Buffalo, which is a pretty big city, I don't. I only I knew like of one guy. Yeah one or two guys and, and and of course it costs a lot of money but i knew a little bit about woodworking so i i wasn't completely blind but i i did not have a lot of finesse so i did hack hack my way in uh but doing your own mods and taking care of your own gear and plugging it in and wiring it and figuring it all out that was part of the gig and even setting up the pa and the lighting and learning all about that you kind of had to do everything yes yeah. so it was a good experience later on uh it, it proved uh, valuable uh, understanding you know p- p- sound and lights and how they work and what, what you need to do that and your gear and your amps and you know how, and monitor systems and all that we had to build our own monitors i remember the first time i ever saw a monitor on the stage I'm, what's that box doing up here it's a monitor a what <laughs> well, you can hear yourself well we can hear we we, we just turn the pa a little bit inward so we could kind of hear ourselves and we sing, and I hear tapes from back in the day, and we're we're on pitch, you know. It's we we hit it. So the monitor thing uh, came later on, and a lot more gear. But back in the day, you kind of had to do everything yourself when it came down to your musical instruments. And now I do done a bunch of YouTube videos about like one how to make a cheap bass play great. You just take a 
I bought a $50 neck, $45 body, put old pieces on it, and it plays great. Yeah. Uh, if you know how to adjust it, you can, you know, so you don't need a $3,000 instrument to, to start off. Uh, I do that primarily, primarily for beginners, but also a lot of other people watch my channel and contact me online from uh, Indonesia and the Philippines and uh, a lot of countries where they don't have a lot of money, more, uh, you know, uh, more, somewhat impoverished. And so they appreciated uh, being able to just find a cheap bass and, and make it play really good because you can. Yeah. So, yeah, that self-modification uh, 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 was a big thing. No, uh, I, I I watch some of your YouTube and watch how you go into the I call it's almost like Frankenstein. You Dr. Frankenstein in the laboratory. You're going there, and I all I was thinking to myself was he took his first base. He's going in there like there's that risk where I could really screw this up, and I don't have the money to buy another base. Oh my God! We, did you have that fear doing? Like no, because um, once you start working with wood, you realize you could probably fix anything that you don't do yeah. right. Yeah. Everything is repairable, even a crack or a split or something. You can you can fix that. You know, uh, Jocko tore the frets out of his jazz bass with a, a pliers or something. I don't know what I remember hearing the story at Van Halen. I've just jammed pickups into an old Schecter body and spray painted it himself. So it was a, not an uncommon thing. Yeah. That, but uh, and again, it led to a sense of experimentation, which also translated over into playing. You know, you've got uh, a whole bunch of notes on here mm -hmm. and you hear some wild classical piece or some really uh, intricate passage and and there was no YouTube and the Guitar Player magazine was about four pages stapled together in somebody's garage at that time. And uh, I remember I had some of the first issues of, of Guitar Player magazine. I wish I still did. Those are actually worth something. But you figure out how to, you know, you just kind of invent your way around and there was no real guide, you know, do you use two fingers, one, a thumb, a pick, and you have to use there was no guide. whatever you do, you know? So, so that also led to a lot of unique players that came up because we didn't have any guidance or any template to follow. So you just had to kind of figure it out. You'd hear, you know, a, a bass run. You didn't know where, where he was playing it on the neck or how he was fingering it. You just had to kind of figure it out. I remember years ago, I did a, a base clinic in one of my first trips to Japan, I think about 1988, maybe 87. And uh, I didn't realize it, but they, they had me in uh, like a 3000 seater and it was sold out. And I thought, oh man, there's no pressure. So they had, they had the Japanese are great. They plan everything. They had a plan. They're going to have like five, at one point of the clinic, they had five kids come up and sit in chairs and have them play for me. And I could, you know, talk with them and explain what they're doing right or whatever. And they were all competent players, all pretty good. One guy came up and there was a solo on the Sink Your Teeth into that album called Envy 43345, which is my yeah. name. Yeah. And so the guy wanted to play that for me. I said, sure, go ahead. I, I, I actually didn't remember much of it. I haven't played it for a long time. And so he played it and he got all the notes right, but his fingering was wildly different than what I, what I did. And I was actually impressed that he got it without doing it the way I did it, which meant he was now on his own. He's already on his own direction. Even copying something for somebody else, he's already got his own unique thing. And it's going to sound slightly different in, a, in some of the nuances, but generally you got the notes and he played it. So it's, it's interesting to not have that 
now everything is spelled out exactly in YouTube and slowed down and show which finger does what and where and how. And that makes you play just like the guy played it, but it's not a lot of your own life in there or personal. No, no, there's no soul. There's no heart. I, you know, I remember even trying to learn when I was learning how to play bass as a kid and I'd look at the charts and the before I could even you know, try to read music. I look at the notes and then I'd go by numbers and, I, and you just don't get that soul. You had to really listen to it. You know, yeah, Derek Sherinian, who, who, you know, of course, from Sons of Apollo, good uh, friend of mine. Um, I remember we got to, a chance to play with Eddie Van Halen. He, and I'm sure Derek taught, taught, told you this story forever, but is that up at the house at the house, I, I got the call and I called Derek up and he just lost his mind. But I remember I had my I had a GMP bass behind me, and there was this company called GMP, and they made these basses, and it was fretting out. So I was standing next to John Karabi, and I saw Eddie fixing his own stuff, what you did. And I go, would you fix this? It's fretting out. And he was like a mad scientist. And he's running in his living room. There was a piano. There's no furniture. It was only like workout machines. It was a piano far. Running back, then going to the A string running back and coming back. I go, I go, Eddie, you want my guitar tuner? And he goes, Stefan, here, here. And I look at Karabi. I go, so you don't want my guitar tuner? But it was all, he was all the ears, you know, that's yeah. what, you know, comes a from all that. way of doing it, you know? You know, oh yeah. It was just one of those great things. Now I got to ask you, Talis, you guys, I didn't realize this going, reading everything about you guys. You did 30, what, 30 dates with Van Halen? Is this yeah, we opened in 1980. Wow. So what About album was that show. for Van? What album was that for Van Halen then? Women and Children First. Wow. Yeah. We had a, uh, a situation happen. Uh, we uh, in Buffalo, we were a pretty big band, and there was local promoters in Buffalo. Every city and every region had local promoters uh, from New York City or the Cleveland area. I forgot some of the names. Uh, famous guys. Um, and in Buffalo, we had a, a, a local promoter that bring in all the big bands. So in a huge band, the Stones or, or Van Halen or the Who would come in, they would, they did all the business and they hired them and the, put them in the auditorium and everything. So uh, they were the biggest guys in the music biz in Buffalo and we were the biggest band. So eventually by default, they kind of stepped in and started to do some managing for us. So they uh, contacted uh, Premier Talent, which is one of the main booking agencies they dealt with. Premier did The Who and Van Halen and a million other giant bands. And there's a woman by the name of Barbara Skydell, and they sent her our demo. Unknown to us, Barbara sent it to Van Halen. We didn't have any idea where the demo was going to go or who was going to listen to it. And apparently Ed called back and said, yeah, let's have them open up. And uh, so out of nowhere, they come to pick me up for the gig. And I get in the car and they got a bottle of champagne. I go, and we had just done a whole bunch of other things, you know. And Aerosmith was coming to town, maybe do the opening slap for that. Uh, we just did a showcase for a, a, a record company. She said, hey, we, we get a, do we get the record deal? No. I go, we, get, we open it for Aerosmith? No. I go, well, what is it? He goes, we got the Van Halen tour. I go, what? You know, like, holy cow. Because we love that band. It was just so yeah. great. Went out did about... Uh, like I said, 30 shows with them. And uh, was, and I always tell people on their worst night of that tour, they were only spectacular. Oh, I'm, I can they imagine. Were on, they were on fire. It was so great. They were uh, every night, just just killed it. So great. Wow. What an honor. What an honor. Just, amazing, yeah. And you had the best seat in the house. 
Yeah, we'd always stay, you know, after our show. And they were really nice to us. They let us do encores in a bunch of cities. We, you know, if we got to sound like we had an encore, they said, go ahead, you know. Really cool with us. And uh, we uh, got to know the crew guys and, and things like this. And I, then when they would come touring again through our area, we'd, we'd always go to the show and go back and say hi and stuff like that. That was a, a very nice thing. So that was your first bonding with Van Halen, just to meet the whole the whole cast and crew, just uh, playing with them, right, back then? Did you meet anybody yeah. beforehand, or that was it, the first time you met Eddie or No, Dave? we didn't know them at all. Uh, and our first night, we hadn't met anybody in the band at all. We were in the arena, and we got a little dressing room on the other side of the arena from where their whole entourage is housed. And we're sitting in this dressing room. It's kind of an L-shaped room, so I can see the door whoever walks in but the people in the room can't see it until they get past the middle of the l and so i'm sitting right there and i can see the door and the room and the door opens up and the later on the guys the guys of the band and the crew say you just should have seen the look on their face door opens up and it's ed van halen the first thing he goes is which one of you guys is billy sheehan <laughs> so i'm like me hey. <laughs> Uh, he was a sweet, wonderful guy. I don't know how he heard of me. Maybe through uh, Denny Carmasi, because Denny played in Montrose in San Francisco. And I worked with Denny with, uh, when we went to England to do the Michael Shanker uh, first record. Uh, so that may, that may be where, what it was from. But he came in and he, that he had heard from me was a, I was a, that was a proud moment of my life <laughs> that he didn't even knew what my name at all. So, but totally. He, became good friends and uh, he's a great 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 man a wonderful guy and changed the world of the electric guitar as we know it for sure it definitely did change the world definitely is one of those cats that came in here and just yeah he was just a genius a, ge- a genius you could see it you could good just one. see you know this yeah you just definitely see it so there you go you go from from there to play with with roth i mean i mean back then that's like roth is like the he was just the, the Elvis of front men, you know, he was, there was nobody touching him. The star in the world at that time. The 1984 like, record was huge. Yeah. And, uh, and while we were with Talos, we got, there's another series of phone calls. We got, uh, we had just showcased, I think for Danny Goldberg from Gold Mountain Records. I know Danny very well. Yeah. He's a friend of the yeah. show. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, so we got a call. The William Morris Agency wanted to sign us and put us on tour with Ingvays. Great. The tour starts in L.A. in a couple of weeks. All right. Great. Uh, and then we got the call from Danny Goldberg. They're going to sign us to Gold Mountain Records. I thought, wow, this is unbelievable. Then a third call came in. That said, all in the same time period, some weird thing happening. And it was David Lee Ross' office saying he wanted to talk to me about being in his movie. I said, what? <laughs> being in your movie? I had no idea. So since I was going out to L.A., um, I had a, a day off before the first show of the tour, and then we'd be traveling the whole time. So I got in touch. So I'll be there for a day so uh, I can come out. And so sure enough, they came and picked me up, and I went out to Dave's house and went to him. And we were talking about it. He goes, well, you know, uh, well, there there is a movie, but the real story, you got to keep it a state secret. You can't tell anybody. The real story is uh, I quit Van Halen, and I want to start a band. So you and me, let's find a guitar player and drummer and do it. And I said, okay, I'm in. So the bad part of that was for the whole rest of that tour with Talos and Ingvay, we we had a great tour. Every night was jam-packed. People were going crazy. Everything was looking really great. 
But in the back of my mind, I go, sorry, guys, but I can't pass this one up, you know. So, And there, were, there was, uh, um, uh, during that time period, it was, it was a high-pressure situation, too, because we, though we got a record deal, you, as you know, getting a record deal doesn't guarantee anything. It doesn't even guarantee your record's going to come out. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a precarious. So I'm thinking, man, if this falls through and I'm left high and dry again, I don't know how many shots I'm going to have at this. So when Dave called, I said, a bird in the hand is worth yeah. two in the book. And I went out to L.A. So it was a, that was quite a, and again, in 85, summer of 85, uh, that was when it all went down. And uh, like I said before, Sunset Boulevard was just lined with rock and roll. And it, was, it was an amazing thing. And then, uh, you know, we, we got uh, uh, Steve Vine in the band and Greg Bissonette and went off on our merry way and did the Eat and Smile record and tour. And it was uh, quite an adventure, to say the least. What a great record, too. What Thank a great you. record. I, I, I mean, you had the ultimate band, too. Roth really put together a great band. and Yeah, and- he, he was uh, incredible to be around. I learned a lot from him. And, uh, man, he was, uh, there's no, he was I the best rock front man ever. You know? Billy, the, 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 the <laughs> one of the, if it wasn't for Roth, you wouldn't have the, the Vince Neils and all these other guys. You know, he came out with the lion, the blonde hair. I mean, he really was so electrified and he was an entertainer. He took the old, like vaudeville. I know. And, and he just mixed it up in this blender of Broadway and rock and roll and just. He was the ultimate front man. In, the, in 1985, you mentioned his name. There was nobody who could touch him. Oh, yeah. That's you true. It, so great. And I love his voice, too. I, I, I was a big fan of his ice cream man. I love his voice and that. And and now they have the isolated tracks that float around the Internet. And a while ago, they put out Running with the Devil with all the woo-ha, all the screams and yells in it. And I think whoever put it out, and it's just Dave's voice, yeah. right from the, from the track, uh, I think when they first put it out, they thought it would be people would laugh at it because he made all these noises and stuff. But listen to him sing, and he's right on. His pitch is perfect. His timing is great. And uh, so I, I, I was really a, a fan of, of, of his musically and lyrically, too. I just finished Ted Templeman's book, and Ted talks about Dave's uh, uh, his lyrics and the, and the quality and depth of them. Instead of just "I love you, baby," it's you know there's there's a no, there's story and meaning there that that I, that I love very much, very, very much so. And he he just was a great, uh, amazing entertainer. I mean, being on 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 the road with Roth and, and and learning so much from this guy. Did you did you learn? Did did you dig more into your roots from jamming with Roth? Would he take a lot of the old school and say, "Hey, try this or try that"? Yeah, yeah. There was a you know we we reference. Uh, a lot of times, uh, ZZ Top would get, you know, hey, what's that? A little more ZZ Top than that. You know, it'd be that 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 shuffle, but fast, like yeah. how the teacher. You can get angry, do, get angry, do, get angry, do, get angry. And that was basically, I heard it on the axe, you know, a kind of similar groove, not as Texas and bluesified, more heavy eyes and rocked, uh, but uh, still, and, and everybody gets it from somewhere. I, I had the, I used to collect a lot of bootlegs. I have them all in digital now, all my CDs I've ripped, but all the bootlegs I collected over the years, I've got some really priceless ones. And I got the, the Beatles' first demo that they handed into, uh, I think it was EMI Records in, uh, in England. And there's 20 songs on it. Wow. And guess how many are originals? 
uh, originals on the 20 songs i would i would say of the there's more covers i would definitely i would say what four originals five none none one and so and back in the day uh it wasn't until the beatles and bob dylan and a few other artists uh, really became strong writers uh and wrote their own songs uh prior to that you 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 and their first the beatles first record a taste of honey please mr postman that's right you know, it was four or five uh twist and shout songs that were not theirs you know and so being a, a writer and a musician elvis never wrote anything frank sinatra never wrote anything you know so they they rely on songwriters so it's kind of an interesting uh uh thing that you rely on the things you played when you were younger as your as your template if you will yeah. for your songwriting i um uh, I played in the copy band. I've got bootlegs of Van Halen playing almost the same set list as Alice did in the clubs. Oh, 49 <laughs> uh, by the James Gang. Uh, I, I forget now, but there's a whole list of songs. That we, we all played those songs. Yeah. But then when you go to write songs, you've got that kind of in your DNA. And we did a whole medley of The Who and some King Crimson and... Uh, tons of zeppelin and stones and hendrix and beatles so all that stuff kind of gets in you and you you it starts to come out when you when you write i found another great collection online of songs the beatles listened to and it was all the songs that they of their youth that they listened to and they got music from people that they referenced in interviews and somebody tracked them all down and uh it was amazing because when you listen to you hear a little bit of ah there's Mm -hmm. that chunk from sergeant peppers right there so it's a it's a it's not a bad thing to uh to borrow from what came before you i always give credit for it of course yeah uh, uh but uh it, it everyone does it everyone uh it takes from someone before even bach i think telemann was a uh composer prior to bach and you listen to telemann they go hey, i think i know where johan got it from <laughs> so, uh, absolutely i mean wrong on, on that but there's something like that those, those, um, when you're talking about those bootlegs, they were so valuable, especially the Beatles. They'd be so expensive. I was like, oh my yeah. God, $40 for this. But when you'd hear it, especially in you, you could hear Lennon, big buddy Holly fan, you could hear what his cover of, of, of Words of Love. And then you could hear when he's doing something like Girl, you could hear the Holly influence on it. Oh, just the Everly. vocals and Everly even, Brothers. Everly Brothers. And then you'll even hear, you got to hide this. Uh, hey, you got to hide this love away. Uh, Bob Dylan, he took, was taking his, vo- his vocal melody was sounding like little Mike Dylan. Yeah. And um, I had John Sebastian on the show from the Love and Spoonful. And he actually played with Talis up in Woodstock. No, really? Baritone guitar on, a, on one of our tracks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. What a cool, isn't he a great kid? What a great yeah. guy. What a talent. I love the Love and Spoonful too. Oh my God. And he, he what a great track. He had a whole story, Billy, telling me how Dylan tried to approach him to be in his band. He goes, well, I'm starting this band right now. He goes, oh, well, you may. And it was no, there was no attorneys. There was no, it was just a phone call. Dylan calling him up. Hey, you think maybe, uh, well, I'm trying to do this band called Love and Spoonful. Well, uh, uh, okay. <laughs> and hung up. Never heard from him again. That was it. That was the end of the conversation. But these stories and what you and I are sharing right now, it's there. It's. They're wonderful stories. It's legacy of rock and roll, which you don't want to forget 
these stories. It makes the songs. Yeah, I agree. Now, yeah, and we're talking about influence. Uh, a, a lot of younger folks said, well, yeah, the Beatles may have done that, but not any, not our guys, not our later generation. I've got Bon Scott singing To Know You Is To Love You. I've got uh, a Ronnie James Dio doing I Left My Heart in San Francisco. Oh, uh, he was a doo-wop. He was in a doo-wop band, Dio. I mean, you- that came later. <laughs> that came that came later. I mean, th- these, which I'm a big doo-wop fan. Growing up in Brooklyn, CBS FM was the radio station I'd listen to, Cousin Brucey, and that's all we'd listen to. And I, I remember uh, Labor Day weekend, you'd always, the number one song out of 500 songs was always the same number one song. It was in the still of the night, but five satins. It was always the same wow. number one song. But uh, <laughs> now I got to ask you, is this true? Now, was there ever a time that Van Halen, approached you about maybe coming in and it was problems with michael anthony at one time is that a true rumor or yeah is it just that is huh yeah we uh i talked with that a bunch of times actually i went uh in more recent times after dave and sammy uh i went up to the house and jammed with ed and al and uh i wonder who's got that tape somebody was somewhere wow uh, and we talked here and there and uh in retrospect I love and respect Michael Anthony. And as a fan, I hate to see a band change players. I remember when uh, Jethro Tull had uh, Glenn Cornick on bass and another Martin Barr on guitar. And then the next record came out and he, that one guy was gone. And the other goes, wait, what, ha- what happened? And it was, as a fan, it always threw me when they changed members. So that was in the back of my mind. Going, Man, I would love to. Of course, I, if, if, if an actual offer would have come through, I would have absolutely said yes. But we talked about it and discussed it. There was no paperwork or lawyer, which there would have had to have been. But we we talked about it. I jammed with them. We had phone conversations about it. Uh, so uh, we, uh, but I love Michael and he's great in that band. And uh, and the bootlegs I have of them in the clubs, Michael's, he's killing it. He's playing and- great and he sang his ass off. And uh, uh, so I, I was torn. And I think in the end, uh, the harsh reality of it was as we see later on some of the things they did i think they thought well, we could get this guy from buffalo in here and uh you know pay him pay him 500 bucks a week and let him sleep in a motel six and he'll think he went to heaven you know so because uh, i think initially van halen was an equal four-way split and they, yeah. they started to they didn't like that and they started splitting it differently so i think they thought maybe they could bring me in pay me as a side man and uh, and I still would have thought I was the king of the world there. It, would have, it wouldn't have got a complaint from me. So I think, you know, uh, a little bit humbling, but I think that may have been some of the motivation as well. Uh, uh, and I don't know how I would have had to uh, alter a lot of my stylings because uh, I was generally playing in bands, not unlike, though I'm not comparing myself to him, John Entwistle. He could move around a lot because Pete Townsend was hitting these huge chords. Mm-hmm not not whittling or playing a lot so i would have had to have taken over that uh taken a different role as a bass player which i love doing and i'm happy to do but my i had i had a thing and it was starting to get some traction and and all that but i I consider it a great honor that i know any of them that i've spoken with any of them that i've that i've played with or recorded with uh i'm the only guy that ever played with every member of van halen wow that's pretty that's pretty wild yeah, so Sammy, I jammed with him just a, just a couple months ago in Chicago. Uh, 
and Michael. Michael's up on stage too. I also did a thing with Michael earlier with a keyboard player from Uriah Heep, Ken Hensley. We we all got up and did Easy Living with me and Michael. Uh, Gary Sharon did the Who tribute with Mike Portnoy, Paul Gilbert, Gary, uh, and then Ed and Al up in the and uh, at, at their at their. Uh, well, I, did, I did a live show with Ed once, uh, uh, and then uh, jamming with Ed and Al in the studio too. So that was. But I even played with Wolfie, even though he was a little tiny kid. After we did the live show in Chicago, me, Ed Van Halen, Pat Torpy, and uh, uh, Steve Lukather, uh, Ed. I flew home and he asked me if I would like to go home. I said, yeah. So I flew with him and um, uh, he had a son with him. So he wanted, Ed wanted to sleep. So I said, don't worry, I'll help out there. So I got some, asked the uh, flight attendant for some paper and we drew animals and letter games. And I kept him occupied while Ed sleep. <laughs> I remember he looked over at one point and goes, man, you make a good father. I go, yeah, I'll stick with my cat. Thank you very much. But uh, <laughs> Well, I did technically play with him, but not music. But uh, I saw him recently. A Wolfie is just great. Just, just a really uh, his own self doing his thing. Uh, you see the legacy of his dad, but he's not overshadowed by it. And uh, just, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very pleased to see that. He is amazing. And you know what? It's, it's, it's sad that you got the, 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 some of the people with the internet and the keyboards. These people hide behind the keys over here. They hide behind it and they everybody's a critic. But the kid. Uh, you know, when he went and joined Van Halen, and when, it was, when, it was, when I remember being at the house with Sherinian, he had videos, Eddie, and it was all set up. They were rehearsing. They were, he, they were videoing everything, recording all their rehearsals. It was all set up. And he was showing a video of Wolfie back then playing. And he was a kid. I'm like, this is crazy. But the kid yeah. can play. And that's oh, yeah. before we even knew what he can do. And right. he, he really proved himself. And even he just did for the late great Taylor Hawkins who passed away, the Foo Fighters, they put on that whole big spectacular tribute to him. And Wolf came up there and he kicked oh, ass. Right. Really he, really, he just I'm very came, glad to see it. Yeah, he just, on guitar, he's one of those cats that does, plays everything. He does it all. So, yeah. yeah. Talented, kid. Talented it's kid. It's in It's in the genes. It truly <laughs> is. That'd be a cool little act to see I, you playing with him or something like down, down the road. Look, I'm managing you right now, Billy. You come in for one interview. I'm taking over. And I'm now your manager. That's what that's what the Jewish guy from Brooklyn does. He just takes over the idea guy. So right. we got we I'm going to let you go because I know time is running. You probably got a bunch of interviews, but I got to have you come back because I like talking the music with you. And it's, oh, it's a lot of fun. And um, Pleasure. you know. I know I was going through you then. Uh, it's funny when I was going through you, then your PR person happened. Do you, I go, that's so funny. I've been trying to hook him down and um, I've been, you know, emailing back and forth, but I got to thank her, you know, Amanda for getting us together. And uh, yeah, you, I'll thank her as well. Yeah. For you coming on here now, look, I know you're a big Beatle fan, but I'm going to give you a top five really quick before you get out of here and, and, and uh, you're on a deserted Island vinyl album. I know you're going to go, where's the electric? Where, how am I going to plug this in? Let's make believe if you only okay. had five albums to take with you, listen to forever, what would they be? Sergeant Pepper, Red by King Crimson, uh, ACDC Back in Black or the, the Live, uh, if you want blood, you've got it with Bond. I'd take them both. That'd be four then. I only got one more. <laughs> I would take uh, then... Uh, Well, you know, uh, the Winery Dogs is an important band to me. 
uh, Talos's too. So I would have to ask if I could get make it six and bring okay. Regan and Winery Dogs with me. <laughs> Talos and Winery Dogs. That's that's a top five right there with Billy right there. Everybody, that's his top five. We'll make it a six over there. We'll squeeze it all together. Winery, right another great band. Another great band. What's going on with the Winery Dogs these days? New record is done. Mixed master. The cover is finished. The credits are compiled. And uh, they're booking the tour for next year now. And I'm uh, very excited. I enjoy playing with that band very much with Mike and Richie. It's a riot. And uh, uh, it's uh, the new record is really cool. Uh, the opening track is uh, really wonderful. We're, we're very pleased with it. So we're a lot of people are online excited about it. So that'll be out ASAP as soon as possible. Yeah, we'll keep everybody notified. I'll put links for Billy down here so you can check out what Billy's doing and follow him on Instagram, his YouTube channel. I'll put links to get the Talus record. Uh, Richie is one of those talented cats, too. He used to come to the cat club and oh, jam yeah. with I'm Losing You. He used to do that. Oh, yeah. Song with us. I played that with him a couple of times. Oh, God. He's so okay. good. He, first of all, he looks cool. He sings amazing. He plays amazing. He's just He has the whole package, this, this guy, you know? Yeah, and he does rough construction, too. Too oh, much. He's one foreign cement out back of back of his house. Do you do that? Do you? Well, you you do. Can you, yeah, you work on bass? Not me. Not me. I, I I get I get yelled at. The wife won't let me hang a picture up, and I get yelled at. I go I go I go. Look at these hands. This is you know. It's it's. I I have to hire somebody. But anyway, Billy Sheen in the house. I got to thank you for coming on here. And um, are absolutely. I'll tell I, you. I, I mean, I know I forgot something to ask you, but you know, we'll leave it for a part two. You got we'll to do it again. Back. So you, you have a vinyl record collection, right? You, you have vinyl records? Yourself? I got some vinyl. I saved a lot of my vinyl, but I eventually went to all CDs and then I digitized everything myself. So I had uh, two or three computers going at the same time, ripping, and then I compiled it all into a hard drive. So my, my digital collection is about 2.2 terabytes. Oh, wow. It's a lot of music. That's a that's a lot of good music that's right there. Why well, always you have to get that, the hard drives are expensive when they're that big, so I got to back it up in ten different drives. So it's it's expensive. That's what I was just going to say. You got to back up back up the backups. That's because oh, yeah. you don't you don't want to lose it. Do you have I, your I, record? I send a copy to like a my cousin in Buffalo or a friend of mine in Texas, just in case of disaster it'll, it exists somewhere because a lot of work went in because my my iTunes collection is curated right down to the letter all the cover art all the all the correct titles of all the songs in the right order and oh wow so, so you're really detailed with it hours on that it's crazy oh, wow what's what how about the first record you bought with your own money eight miles high by the birds wow Sing. this is the 45. yeah the flip side was why uh a song that i couldn't find that version of forever i was playing all these birds greatest hits Finally, a box set, box set came up, and they had the song "Why," and they had it in parentheses, single version. I was like, "Oh, thank God!" And it wasn't wildly different, but I knew I just you just this that sonic DNA. You know, I knew those other ones weren't the same. Same with the Rolling Stones got live. If you want it, I've never found the original version of it because they got some guy yelling stuff off at the beginning of the record, and he's gone. And it, was, it wasn't on the other version, so. Uh, I don't know how that, but I'm I'm a nut with that uh, with that uh, with collecting and and uh, having a you sit down with a glass of wine and you got the hard drive there and start opening it up with some friends. It's a riot. It's some of the best nights of my life. I have sitting down having an iTunes night. Pretty cool. 
That that is awesome. You know, I do a vinyl game show. That's why I asked you if you ever had five of your old vinyl records. My buddy Eric Singer has been busting my chops because he's getting into vinyl. We have a showdown where you go against each other, right? And the audience votes in real time, and then you win a prize from from me, a vinyl album of your choice. But um, it's a lot of fun. And oh, but while you're doing it, you're telling the story where Billy pulls out Meet the Beatles and why it's important. And you talk to yeah. So if you ever want to play, and when Eric gets off off the road, which soon he is, love to have you guys play. He, oh, talk, he, he talks more than me. I don't know if you know him very well, but, <laughs> but he talks more than me. He's a great <laughs> singer. He, he sings his ass off. He he is he's amazing. We would do um our cat club jams, me and him, and and uh when and that's how I met him. When I played, I used to play with Gilby, and it was with Eric, and I met eric through gilby and um just just we we hit it off and eric is a dear friend great voice um that raspy 70s style yeah, voice kind of a rod stewart to- totally isn't it weird that the drummers from kiss all have the, kind of the same they had peter <laughs> eric Carr, and eric Singer all have the same kind of tone very very yeah. strange but anyway i'm gonna let you get out of here billy sheen great having you here links My for pleasure. billy down below everybody I want you to click on it, follow him, check out his YouTube channel. It's a lot of fun, especially if you're a gearhead. This man right here will teach you all. And if you write to him, he might write back to you. But Billy, thank you so much. All righty. My pleasure. Okay, I'll let you out of here. Yeah, yeah we'll do it again. And I'll I'll, I'll send you every, all my, my stuff again. And we'll, we'll hook up again. All right. Much love to you. And be safe out there on the road. Thank you, my brother. All righty. Good talking to you. Bye. Mm-hmm. I'll get you out of here, Billy. I'm hey. just learning. I'm learning how to do it. <laughs> you get an added point there. You know. All right. Let me stop this. Uh, stop.